Well, welcome everybody. Since this is the anything but typical podcast, we're going to do something that's atypical. And instead of the, hey, today we've got John Doe, who's the CEO of XYZ Company, and he's done yada, yada, yada. We're kind of going in a different direction. So instead, we're going to hear more about the amazing story of Charlie Maloof. But I'm going to ask you this question first uh, before we get into your story, Charlie, and that is your why. And I want to better understand you and your why. So here's the scenario. Charlie, you're at a cocktail party. You overhear one of your competitors or one of your peers who you really admire, and uh, you are within earshot of them, but they aren't aware of that. And so my question to you is, what would you like them to be saying about you? What would you like to hear? That's such an interesting question, Gary. And first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me today. This is my first ever podcast to record. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is, um, I went into this year, you know, everyone has New Year's resolutions. And I really wanted to start podcasting. I absolutely hmm. love podcasts. And so here around the end of the year, you ask me to be on a podcast. And so uh, it's funny the way, um, you know, not to get overly religious here at the beginning, but it's yeah. funny the way prayers are answered and the yeah. Lord works and divine intervention. And um, so, um, you know, he is always moving and, and uh, moving in this world. And so um, that's my belief at least. And so here I am on a podcast and that's something I was actually thinking about um, here towards the end of the year. Well, uh, you're you're a week into 2020 and you're already checking off the New Year's resolutions. <laughs> well, I got to keep it going. So let me let me not avoid the question. Um, what would I like? I love the question. Um, what would I like one of my competitors to say yeah. about me if I overheard them? You know, it it reminds me of the word competition that I just want to kind of rest on for a second. A lot of people think of comp competition is in a negative light. And um, you know, the word compete comes from the Latin word, the etymology of the word comes from the Latin word competere, which means to strive together. Mm. And so I've got, and then I just read Simon Sinek's book, The Infin Infinite Game. Yeah. And I think really as I've matured as a, as a business person, I, I'd hope from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that I've got a little bit different perspective and it's less adversarial. Mm. And I think um, just comes more from a spirit of abundance than scarcity. Um, we're not trying to kill each other. We're, we're all going to be around and survive. And so um, I, I think that um, uh, I wouldn't have, uh, it'd be a friendly uh, c competitor for, for one. Yeah. And I wouldn't think like, I wouldn't wish ill will on him or them. And so hopefully they would have some positive things to say about the way we run our business and um, that that maybe has influenced them in terms of changing their, the way they treat their people mm. or the way they run their business or the way this, um, that they might become more purpose oriented. So I believe so passionately about it, but I don't necessarily want to gobble it up just for Broad River. I think that our organizational wake might be influencing and impacting other companies around us, whether they're our competition in the same industry or, or geographically in other areas. I think that we're mindful of our organizational wake and I'm totally okay with that. And I'd like to embrace that, that uh, if, if people can generally be treated better by how we treat our people, then that would be one of the greatest compliments that, that we could 
get because that would mean we're doing something right and then ultimately people get treated better and and so that would be very meaningful to me love it that's a, a great way to start off this podcast so I, right. I know you're you're new to this but i don't <laughs> think you really are you're, you're you're hitting it already so i want to take a step back and really let the listeners know a little bit about you and a little bit about uh, who you are and what you've done so i'm going to run through a quick intro and, and so charlie you joined broad river retail in 2005 as the coo you became the president and ceo in 2015 and it's one of the fastest growing ashley home store licensees i believe in in the country certainly the fastest one in this area and, and you now have i i got a correction email yesterday i had 21 locations but you are now up to 22 locations in the carolinas and in georgia and, and we're, you're over nine figures in annual sales. Uh, Broad River started in 2003, so a couple of years prior to you joining. And prior to that, you had a successful exit from a web development and e-business uh, services. And that's on the business side, but one thing that is extremely relevant in your story, and it's part of the reason why we have you talking today when we're discussing growing with purpose, is your community involvement, right? So you've been a board member that we're gonna dig in later. You've been a board member for multiple nonprofits. You earned the Community Playmaker Award in 2018 with the Charlotte Hornets. It's just, it's extremely ingrained into your story, the, uh, the actions of, of giving back. And so I, I wanna make sure that we're focusing on that today. So let's go to that, that exit. Before you get into Broad River, there's D2 Interactive. Take us through exiting a business what what happened there and also what were some of the lessons that you learned along the way yeah first of all i might have to hire you as my publicist because that's <laughs> a, you did it a lot better than uh maybe the, the reality is um so i had a uh, web development e-business company in mississippi that's where all great technology companies are born <laughs> don't you know and um and we were a, a gritty little company and uh, we ended up having a couple offices, one in Jackson, Mississippi, one in Oxford, Mississippi, about 12 full-time employees. And uh, business was finally starting to chug along, go pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I got into retail the way it's uh, the very typical way that everyone gets into, right? Via technology mm. and, and software development. And that's my <laughs> attempt at sarcasm there. Um, I, I should say that um, I, I think that uh, God's sense of humor and joke of my life is that I'm in retail. I hated shopping growing <laughs> up. And uh, I was in an industry I loved. I loved the technology industry, um, you know, coming out of college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do and um, going through all those things. At some point, I wanted to be a head football coach. Another time, I mm. wa wanted to be an independent filmmaker. And this is when the web was really early, and I started reading, reading magazines like Business 2.0, and I worked for a technology company for a year and a half, and I was about to go to get my MBA degree from SMU, and I was signed, sealed, and delivered, had a nice scholarship. I was three weeks away from, from moving to Dallas, Texas, and I just felt like I hadn't taken a risk in my life mm. um, that I, to start a business. And, um, and I was 24 years old at the time, and I said, well, let me, and my company was still trying to maybe figure their, their future out. So I, I hung around. I said no to SMU. They, they said, what can we do to change your mind? I said, no, please don't. Uh, I'm not going to come. And so, um, so I, I, on my 25th birthday, I hung up my shingle and I started my own company. It, finally, after about five years, I no longer had to like sleep in the office, work 20, 36 hour straight shifts. And, and we, had, we were finally signing some big 
projects and contracts and had survived, had survived 9-11. That was incredibly mm. tough time. And, um, and things were going well. And, th- and then a, a good friend of mine who we had done business together, and he was also from Mississippi. I went to Millsaps College, a small Division three liberal art school, and he went to Mississippi College. And we got to know each other um, a- after college and in, in, in business. He w- ended up going to Vanderbilt to get his MBA degree, and we stayed in touch. And then he started this uh, young company um, with Ashley um, called Ashley Furniture Home Store. He and another business partner, and um, and I stayed in touch with him. Um, I came to visit him in November 2003. It was really exciting. He would tell me stories like, I think I'm on the ground floor of the next McDonald's, and business mm. was going really well. Of course, we what we didn't realize in 2003, 2004, we were in a little bit of a bubble. Um, and mm. and uh, so business was going really well. Um, around the beginning of 2005, they had just opened store number two and were about to open store number three. They had signed a deal to acquire a store in Greenville, South Carolina. And at that point, they determined they needed some more executive help. And so he called me up and I said, well, Jonathan, I don't know anything about furniture. Don't really even like retail or shopping. That's, like, that's not my thing. And uh, he said, well, look, you know about business. And, um, you know, it was a really kind of light negotiation. We were kind of looking out for each other. Uh, he made me an offer, quite honestly. Um, it, it, was a, it was a good offer, but I also was ready to kind of take some chips off the table, I guess, and, and some of the risks because I would borrowed some money from uh, my mom and my dad and my brother, younger brother, to start uh, my, my technology company. And, um, and so, but also I, I just felt um, a spiritual calling to come to Charlotte if mm-hmm. I'm being totally candid and transparent with you. And so it was just a leap of faith. And so I didn't really market my business the way I probably would today. <laughs> I walked into one of my competitors' uh, um, offices. I, wa- I walked into his office, who I had never met before, and we just had known about his company. They were in my same industry. And I said, hey, I, I, I'm thinking about moving away to Charlotte, North Carolina. Would you like to buy my business? <laughs> and uh, we went to lunch or coffee, whatever. We, we had a couple conversations. And he kept asking me now, what are you going to do again? Or like he wanted to know if I needed to sign a non-compete, if I was going to try to start up another uh, company. And I was like, look, I promise you, I'm just moving away. I'm, I'm changing the, the, my career and everything else. Not really sure what, what I'm getting into, but that was it. So we had some conversations. I didn't try to market it. Try to, I didn't even really try to negotiate too hard with them. Really, I was just trying to get a deal. And I did it on my own and he made me an offer and it was a good enough deal to just say, okay, I'm going to entrust my employees with him. There won't be any layoffs or anything like that. My clients, my employees, and we worked out an amicable deal. And so quite frankly, um, I closed on my business. I sold my house. I sold all my belongings pretty much except for my car, packed everything else I had up and I moved to Charlotte in uh, May first, two thousand five. That's quite the uh, quite the leap of faith. Yeah. It was. So that story really resonates with me. When I sold my business, it was basically the same scenario. I wow. my wife was down in Charlotte, okay. and I was still up in New York. So we knew that that transition needed to happen. And I called one competitor and went and met with him a few times and sold the business to him. So it's wow. uh, 
it's not always the getting the bottom line, the best dollar. Mm -hmm. It's to get the right deal to put you in the right situation for your life. So, yeah. so it's, I, I love that you expanded on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, um, it's a, it was a long time ago, almost 15 years ago now, but, um, I, you know what, um, what, you know, Jonathan and I, my former business partner, we, we used to talk about, you know, sometimes people struggle so much about like, is this the right decision or not? And uh, one thing he used to say that I really embraced is, whether it's the right decision or not, go make it the right decision, hmm. right? Just yeah. live. So I, when I when I moved to Charlotte, um, I didn't know anybody except for him. I never looked back. I never like had second thoughts. Like it was cold turkey. Um, I I was hmm. here and I was now in retail. Left everything I knew about the career I was in, had started in, had loved, and I had to learn about retail and furniture and and um, never never looked back. So I, I want to ask a, a follow-up to that because you had mentioned a few minutes ago about the idea of taking some chips off the table, right? Mitigating the risk a little bit in your life. But at the same time, you're going into a city in an industry you know very little about, in a city you know very little about. It seems like in one say, way you're saying you're taking risk off the table and in another way you're jumping all in blind. I, and so how are you comfortable making that type of move in your life at that point? It's um, it's really funny. You're you're putting it back to me, and um, you know, uh, you, you might be right. Maybe it is more of a risky situation. Um, I think life is so much about perspective, and and our our outlook on our circumstances, and uh, and I try to teach that and, and coach that as much as possible. And so, I all I can tell you is from my perspective, yeah. um, my um, without going down this path too much, I, I really think that my spiritual walk with the Lord was really strengthening the last year uh, that I was in Jackson. Okay. And so I um, was ready to make a move. Um, and that that drove maybe the readiness more than anything mm, else. Yeah. And so um, and so I trusted Jonathan and Jackson, the two co-founders, at, at that level that would be different than, hey, I'm just going into yeah. business with them. And even though I didn't know Jackson really, um, I trusted them at that level, and that was really important to me. Um, and so, uh, you know, I guess I don't even know if I was taking chips off the table. I, I, in my mind, I was de-risking my personal situation with with no safety net and, and, and having borrowed money from my mom and my dad and my brother, and I wanted to um, expedite the repayment to them. Yep. And so that move allowed me to do that. Um, it, and we're not even really talking about a lot of money, relatively speaking, I guess. Um, but, but it, to me and to them, it was, and, and then I, I just latched onto a path that was good enough. I mean, it was, um, I went from a hundred percent owner of a company to a much smaller percentage owner of a company at that time, but, right. but that's, it was good enough. It was, and I was very content with it at the time. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for expanding. So in 05, when you, it was still a pretty young company, right? So tell me a little bit about the company I joined, Broad River. Yeah, yeah Broad River. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what the status was of the company then, and and talk a little bit about um, good times and then surprise tough times. Sure. So I think 
Um, so first of all, I didn't join Broad River. I joined a company called Ishmore Incorporated. And there's a whole funny, <laughs> they have, we have so many funny stories. It was basically a combination of their two last names because they didn't know what else to name the company. Um, Broad River came much later as our third kind of name and, and it became our corporate identity. And it is what our company is named today. So I joined a company that was called Ishmore that was an Ashley Furniture Home Store licensee. We've dropped the furniture out and we're just an Ashley Home Store licensee. Um, we, I joined the day we opened store number three. Hmm. And matter of fact, I was in Greenville, South Carolina, and I lived out of a hotel for the first two or three days before I actually made it to Charlotte when we opened that store. Um, they had uh, come through their startup year, you know, and, and had some trials and tribulations through that year, but they, they gutted it out and they survived. And then um, um, we were a pretty young company. We, we lacked a lot of structures and disciplines. Um, you know, you can imagine if you're just a startup company and you have a couple stores and, and you don't have a, a, a plethora of business experience or even a whole plethora of, 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 you know, resources or even people who've had that experience. So everything was kind of new. I mean, I'll give you a really small example. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a stickler for putting a relevant subject line in the email. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when, when I joined the company, there were, there were no subject lines and emails. I couldn't track or follow conversations. And so I was just like, I was a little bit passive aggressive about it. I would, if someone sent me an email with uh, no subject line, I would put in the subject line in brackets, enter subject here, just to <laughs> like, just to try to change behavior. So it was like started that small and, and, um, you know, we just kind of figured it out, but those, those business was good. The first few years I joined, um, and around that time, we were opening about one store a year, and then, and, and business was good up until I would say April two thousand seven. We started to see a, a slight slowdown, and that lasted for about fourteen months or so until you know uh, September two thousand eight, and mm-hmm. and then so that would be the next big um, um, trial or tribulation that we had to go through as a company. And the interesting thing about that is. Um, we, we were negotiating with Jackson to, um, he wanted to move back home to Nashville, Tennessee. And so we were negotiating with him to, to buy his stock and, um, and his timing was impeccable and he'll share that with you, uh, for when he exited the business. Hmm. And, you know, we closed on that deal January 1, 2009. And you know what the world was like. Mm. I mean, basically for when, at the time, um, all of our stores, their sales basically got cut in half. Mm-hmm. So whether we were in some sort of bubble from 04 to 07 or or we went completely the other way or some somewhere in the middle, like sales, certainly people were not buying furniture to the level that they had been before. Right. You know, credit got constricted, refinancing. If people aren't moving to new homes, they're probably mm-hmm. not buying new furniture. And, like, and so just, it was tough. And um, our whole mindset in 2009 was how do we uh, lengthen our runway? How do we kind of uh, slow down our cash churn? And you know, we tried to, at every step of the way, do more with less. That developed some sort of level of resilience and grittiness to us. One of the ways that we survived, um, we, we talked about this concept called occupancy cost, which is the rent that you pay. And a lot of, um, we had kind of a mix. Some, some rents that we were, stores we were leasing, were under healthy rents, and some at the new normal were not at healthy rents. And so we tried to, we had to figure out how we dollar cost average down our occupancy. 
So this was a concept Jonathan had taught me, and he was talking with the banks at that time. And um, and so some of the Ashley Home Store licensees had had closed their doors, like like many businesses or other companies around that time. And we had an opportunity to go into new markets um, at a lower cost structure. Mm. What had happened was in October of 2008, and I'll keep expanding if it's all right. Yeah, you're yeah, fine. So, keep keep so rolling. In October 2008, you know, some of the stores had closed. And so Ashley Furniture, because they wanted to pre- protect the brand image, said, hey, we're going to dip into our Good Samaritan Fund, and will you deliver products to Columbia, South Carolina? And we weren't in Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And we said, sure, we'll be happy to. And we'll just get our delivery cost out of it, right? It wasn't something that we were going to make money on. At the time, we had two distribution centers, one in Charlotte, one in Greenville, South Carolina. Well, um, through that process, we realized, hey, wait a second. Delivering from Charlotte to Columbia is pretty easy. This mm-hmm. is a foreign concept. It's not that big of a deal. And so that started a process of let's centralize back into Charlotte, a single distribution center. We can lower our costs. And then also let's go look for new stores and new markets where instead of the landlords having all the leverage and just saying, yeah, this is my rate. You're going to pay this rate if you want to be here. Um, now the retailers had some leverage. And so if we were willing to take the risk to open new stores and new markets, we could get a much lower rent rate and we felt like we needed to um, so that we could dollar cost average mm. down our occupancy yep. and like and just and, and lower that across the the organization and so we called that growth that added to the stability of our company mm. and that helped us like avoid layoffs and save jobs um, in 2009 for that year what we did do is we asked every employee to take a five percent pay cut and every manager to take a 10% pay cut for that year mm. to, again, help us lengthen the runway. Jonathan didn't take a salary that year. Mm. And um, and so when we were crossing, uh, driving to Columbia, we crossed over the broad river, and we liked the connotation of a slow, steady, stable, flowing body of water. Mm. And, um, and, and so we named that operating company that held the Columbia store Broad River Furniture, which would then hold our Augusta, Georgia store, which would eventually hold our Raleigh, Durham, Fayetteville stores. And that was our mindset. At that time, from like 09 to 15, growth that added to the overall stability of the company. And that, that model worked for us. And so, um, and then that, that whole river concept has, has taken on a whole new life of its own. Um, I love the John Maxwell quote, you know, a river, uh, uh, a pond or reservoir uh, squashes life, whereas contrasting that, a river uh, life runs through it, promotes mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. and so um, I really like that. And that, and so we folded in the three different operating companies, that were, which were all jointly held into a single operating company. At the time, it was Broad River Furniture, and eventually we converted in 2017. I'll give you a little bit more on this. When uh, all the Wall Street pundits were talking about the retail apocalypse and Amazon's going to squash all mm. retailers, we believed in the power of stores. We saw the power of stores and the power of retail. And uh, we said, no, no, no. We, we're, we're just like uh, uh, the David ran quickly to the fight uh, against Goliath. We're going to run quickly to the fight and we're going to put it in our name and we're going to put it in our identity. <laughs> and so we renamed ourselves uh, from Broad River Furniture to Broad River Retail. And we're going to think and 
be and act like a retailer. And so that's a little bit about our name and the challenges we had in 2009 when we had bought out Jackson and then um, taken on a little bit of company debt and put in some chip, more chips into the table to buy them out and then make sure that we survive through that really tough year. So what's interesting about that is even the nuance of Broad River Retail and running to the fight that's kind of anything but typical too, right? Yep. I mean, yep. I, I, I really love that. I, I want to back up real quickly though. So when you joined the company in 05, mm-hmm. three stores, what was your compelling vision of like, where do, what was the why driving that and how has that changed or has it strengthened to today versus back in 05? My why or the company's why? The company's. You know, um, we, I, I think the company's why in 03, 04, 05 was really the co-founder's why. You know, they wanted to have um, an excellent company. Mm. One that, you know, when you go and you turn the keys and you unlock the doors, that you're really proud of how you operate. And just that old school mentality of, of just running a really good business and running it with excellence. So I think that was... Um, um, the why in the early days, mm-hmm. and that was that, that was that was really it. Just being proud of running a really good company and doing it the right way. So transition that. So you were part of that management team early on, growing, growing, going through good times, bad times. I heard servant leadership to lead yep. by example. I, I also thought that it was interesting that you had your managers take more just than. Say somebody else that's yeah. leading by example that's anything but typical too which is what I why we wanted to have you in this this one in particular but talk to me a little bit more then about like what's driving you and your why and the company's why that is fueling this growth yeah so um, first of all we, um, we've had great timing on several things we've got great people who fight for the company and and love the company and we recognize that and we embrace that. Um, so I gave I told you about the 2003 four the first year Jonathan Jackson survived the first year they went from one store to two stores um, and they figured it out it's tough when you're a first startup I mm-hmm. talked to you about 2009 and we we op- we opened a store in Columbia South Carolina. In the beginning, end of 2008, beginning of 2009, when the banks were saying don't open, and, mm-hmm. and we did it, and we survived 09, a very challenging year when sales went down, and uh, same-store sales got cut in half and things of that nature. Um, and then I think our next challenging year, when we really discovered our why and what we're all about, was in 2015. And so, um, you know, from the outside looking in, I, I think a lot of people, if they don't know our story, they might just see a slow and steady trajectory of consistent growth. And it's been anything but typical in that. So um, in 2015, we did um, a a few things that really tripped us up. Um, We did a big software conversion, an ERP conversion, Mm. and um, we didn't have the people or the processes to really embrace that the right way, even though we prepared for it for like a year and a half Mm. or two years. And so... um, and, and that falls largely on me, and I, you know, I was responsible for that. We, we did not handle it well. And we had also acquired two stores in uh, the Western North Carolina market, and we had also broken ground on a brand new campus, um, w- which is where we are today. So we had a lot of um, um, cash constraints 
And and then the new ERP, there was some, a lot of things there. We did not handle it well. We were not taking care of our guests. And, uh, and it hurt us bad. Those first six months of 2015, there were several um, self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Hmm. And quite frankly, we could have made the decision, it's not worth it. Um, we've had a good ride. Let's just punch the clock and go do something else. But I think, you know, I could look around. I, I, I didn't feel good about leaving like that. Hmm. Um, and, and, and I also felt very responsible for the state that we were in. And um, so we were a proud company, you know, for, for 10, 12 years at that time. I'd been with the company for 10 years at that time. And so we just couldn't leave it like that. And so, and then looking around, you know, people were either scared for their jobs or, you know, a lot of our people are commissioned associates and not being able to effectively get product to our guests well, that's going to hurt people's pay and and realizing that like people are losing ten twenty thousand dollars a year of income that could go to their child's tuition or college education or, or just to pay their bills because we've screwed something up well I, I felt really responsible for that and then looking around and um having some of our long tenured people say um we're in the fight with you we're, we're going to be here with mm-hmm. you we want to we want to change the news and so I think we we really discovered our why through an incredibly challenging year where we had to decide, is this something we're going to do or not? And so I'll give you a couple of things. Some of the timing was like when we decided to, decisions we decided to do or not decide to do, but also um, my two business partners today joined the company within two months apart from each other hmm. around that same time. Had they not, uh, we probably would not have survived. Hmm. Um, but so they were super instrumental in helping our survival. So Manny Rodriguez joined in November 2014, and then Charlie Workman joined in January 2015. Um, and <laughs> I don't know if they knew what they were getting there into, but <laughs> they they've become you know just all stars for us. And I'm super indebted for for you know obviously what they did to help us, and and not just them, but everyone in in the company. But they were super instrumental. And uh, within a couple of years after joining and, and getting promoted, they would they would become owners, and and then uh, a lo- the two of them along with me uh, in June of last year uh, made an acquisition to acquire 100% control of the company hmm. from Jonathan in a very amicable. Um, 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 transaction. So, um, so that that's yeah. kind of how we um, survived. And, and so through that, I guess I should say um, to answer your question, how do we find our why? Um, I, and I'm sorry to be long-winded. We'll have to get Ben to cut some of this. Uh, <laughs> no, so before, no, no, no. This you're gonna look at the fantastic. audience numbers, and they're gonna start <laughs> dropping right around this time. So, um, quick, make some quick edits here. So, you know, uh, we like annual themes, and um, and so around this time, by the way. So again, we're going through a tough time. We're trying to change the news, and uh, Jonathan said, "Hey, I think." Um, I'm going to move into a different role, and would you assume president and CEO role? And um, so I said, okay, I will. And so this was mid-2015. And so we tried a 100-day challenge. We called it our bold reset, and uh, we needed to change a whole bunch of systems, processes, roles. Um, One of the things we changed was just our mindset around people. We converted from human resources to human capital. We just, like nothing was working, so we had the freedom to change everything and not be (laughs) held down by, that's the way we've always done it, that's all, we've been super successful, that's what's always worked. Like nothing was working, so we could change anything and everything. Hmm. And so we just like looked at everything from fresh eyes, 
um, even though we've been around for a while and said, well, how should it be? I'll give you another example. Mm. Through, through a career pathing or a human mindset uh, lens, we, we think that um, you know, uh, growth is energizing. Not just company growth, but personal growth and development. Always be investing in yourself. Always be a lifelong learner. Um, hmm. If you do that, you know, and you apply the power of compounding to it, um, you'll be amazed by, by how far you can grow. But, oh, by the way, I started in our call center, you know, in customer service, just because I was tr trying to figure out the business, right? And so... Um, Hmm. And I only say that because that's a testament to, um, I, I think, to our people. Like you can grow and 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 as far as you want to in this business, and we love that. You'll you'll push and propel our growth. And so, um, you know, in our industry, the common acronym for a sales professional is RSA, Retail Sales Associate. And we just looked at that and said that's stasis. That's just like. What, mm -hmm. Just because you choose a profession, one of the most vitally important professions in business, the profession of sales, a professional salesperson, just because you choose that profession, you can never grow like from a title or recognition mm. uh, or distinction. Like, like the same person who was hired nine hours ago gets the same title as the person who's been here nine years. That just doesn't make sense. So we created CareerPass even at the um, store level. And that's pretty unique, believe it or not, in our yeah. industry. So just a whole uh, period of reinvention, uh, things like that. <clears throat> so along this process of annual themes, um, you know, 2015 was our theme. Uh, the theme was grit. 2016 was the theme of beliefs. 2017, when we began to be mindful of our organizational wake, was the theme of impact. I can give you a little bit more about that in mm. a, a few minutes. 2018 was all about premiere, and there's a story behind each one. And then 2019 was um, our year of purpose. And mm. we had just launched our purpose statement in the summer of 2018 there's a whole story behind that and it's four simple words furnishing life's best memories and so to activate it all year long and to make it be more than to make it come alive and not be just words on a page and to really study it throughout the year and to hold ourselves accountable to like just really living out this whole concept of purpose and to becoming students of what contribution-centered work means and meaningful work and what that means and personal purpose connected to organizational purpose and how it's different from just corporate social responsibility. Um, so that that's kind of how we've latched onto this this element of purpose and finding meaning in our work. But it really came through our survival um, and our, our most recent kind of trial and tribulation uh, in 2015 and, and the team that kind of helped take us through that and, and then discovering um, kind of what we wanted to be about. So, you know, we had a mission uh, and statement and core values uh, for several years. In 2017, we launched our vision statement. <clears throat> um, and then, uh, and that's because we couldn't decide on a purpose statement. <laughs> so we had vision, mission, and values. I read a book called The Story of Purpose. I started to understand the difference. Three are from the brain, one's from the heart. And uh, and so, uh, and then just like movements like uh, conscious capitalism and, and, and uh, several speakers and writers who have influenced uh, you know my thinking and my business partner's thinking um, started to kind of bleed into kind of how we wanted to lead and the type of company we wanted to lead. And what we realized is the more in our, in our kind of renaissance or our survival and then thriving through that, the more we tended to invest in our people and trust our people hmm. and work with purpose, the better the company performed. And then we just said, it's just so much more fun that way. <laughs> so again, having this whole mindset of abundance and empowering and trusting your people who, who continue to hit their record setting, like personal 
income levels um, and how much fun that is for them to have growth and achievement. So it's really, it is, you mentioned servant leadership earlier. Um, when we say furnishing life's best memories, there is a period there, but I always say that you could just take the period off and say for others or for other people, because it's not inward fo- focused. It's mm-hmm. really outward focused. It's furnishing life's best memories for our guests in our stores. Could be their first time to buy furniture or a mattress, uh, or, or, they, or they've or they had back problems and they need a brand new uh, sleep system. It could be furnishing life's best memories for our people and what that means for them and, and providing a job and, and an opportunity. It could be furnishing life's best memories for our neighbors in our community uh, who we get to serve. And um, and so that's just a little bit of, of kind of our mindset around it. I don't know mm. if I answered your no, question. No, no, it's, it's I rambled a, a good bit though. No, no, good. And you, you hit a lot on mindset, right? Especially things like being in the trenches with the associates when times are hard, taking responsibility, feeling that, that you have this big responsibility, that your decisions are having such a great impact on the people you're serving, on the, the associates that are working in the, in the company, things like that. I want to hear a little bit about um, the combination of the growth that you talked about and going into the different locations and the mindset. So what is that growth mindset in Broad River and how has that evolved over the years? Well, you know, from from um, the early days, it was we were opening, I don't know, one or two stores a year. Um, in in 09 through 15, it was growth that we looked for growth that added to the stability of the company, and that's really where our country was and where the economy was at that time, and uh, and so we um, we want to growth is energizing. I do believe that, uh, but but also. Um, responsible growth stable growth is is mm-hmm. incredibly important and and um, you don't hear that often you don't hear people say growth and stability in the same concept right a lot of times in business growth means risk and you're talking about it in a completely different mindset of growth being more stability and helping with dollar cost averaging and things like that that most people don't associate with with growth well i'm very grateful for the trials and tribulations we had we've had because i think if if we didn't have them if we didn't have some major failures along the way we wouldn't be as careful with some of the decisions but those wounds Mm. and scars are still there and when you're dealing with real people and real money and their income and their livelihood and and i'm you know, we're as leaders, a steward of their lives who we have the responsibility to look after. Well, they're heavy decisions. Are they the right decisions? Are they the right decisions in policies and governance? Now we treat our people, our guests, are they fair? Are, I mean, I think uh, fairness is really important to me. Um, is it a fair policy? Is it a fair decision? Um, and then, um, but but growth is fun and it is energizing and so you want to do it responsibly and um you know it the 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 phrase i like to say is uh, <clears throat> we're not day trading on this business and we didn't mm. buy the business um in june of 2018 to flip it right we we right. did not buy it with an exit strategy that may not be a smart decision but we but we'll, we'll see. We bought it so that we could work together to build a really great company over the long term where people can grow and prosper. And, um, you know, we love the concept of the great game of business and, um, and we want to win. We want to compete um, and, um, and we want our people to win. And so that's really important to us. So I guess our mindset is to, um, um, to just to we've grown 16% compounded annually for the last 10 years. We do have goals. We do live yeah. within 
budgets and numbers. We are competitive. We have played sports. You know, we like to win, but we don't want to <clears throat> win at all costs. We want to do it the right way. And um, we think it's a winnable game. It's not a game for everyone. We understand how we win. We we have four ways that we talk about growth, and they've been the same four strategies that we've had for the last three or four years. I'm happy to unpack those for you, but but that's yeah. that, that's yeah. Let's go into that. Okay, so um, number one, current stores, and so we have a KPI called sales per guest, and we want our company average to be four hundred dollars sales per guest. You might hear. Um, some retailers talk about sales per square foot. Um, we look at our traffic that comes through our doors, and it's a mat, it's a function of our closing rate and average ticket, and it just creates a level playing field from store to store. Mm. Now you can answer the question of, well, I don't know why this store's doing better or this one's doing better. And so you can really dig into the KPIs. And so um, we, we then, through that lens, understand that if in our vision statement is to be the premier Ashley Home Store licensee. That's our vision. We want to win the AFL every year. It doesn't exist. We just created it. The Ashley Furniture League. <laughs> right, right. And so, but that's our mindset. We want to win the AFL every year. We want to have a excellent home furnishings. Uh, we want to be an excellent home furnishings retailer. That's our mission. And so through that lens of, of, of wanting to be the best, also Ashley Home Store licensees, we're very collaborative and we network with each other and we share best practices. And so we're not like scared to like say, hey, what's working for you, what's working for you? Mm. So we're all playing kind of best ball golf and we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, and, and we, we, we get to kind of um, just operate and be partnered with a great company here. And so it's our current stores. We, we think that if we say we wanna be the premier Ashley Home Store licensee, we must operate at 400 sales per guest as a company average. We have some stores who do that over the course of a year individually, but at a company average, we, we want to, that's our number one pillar. And so we have tremendous growth um, in just our current stores. And we always want our people to know that. That's why we're gonna reinvest in our current stores. We'll do remodels. We see a great return on investment when we put uh, six or seven figures into a store and make it current and give it new life mm -hmm. um, and bring it to kind of a fresh or look uh, new feel. When we add technology to our stores, when we invest in our stores, when we put those capital investment dollars to work in our stores and in our people, we see that pay off. So our current stores would, and then our people and our leadership development programs. When we, you know, we're in the people business. We're a purpose-fueled company that's in the people business. And, and um, when we have uh, the best talent, we perform better. And so recruiting and developing our people are really important. Being a desirable place to work is really important. So number one is current stores. The number two would be our current markets. You know, we, we want to uh, um, go after the white space in our DMAs, our, our, our markets, with the Ashley Home Store model. And the number three would be um, um, new concepts within our current markets. And so right now, we've, we're, we're placing a lot of small bets. And so we, we've got um, the Ashley Home Store Outlet is a new concept um, that we just opened store number 22 in Raleigh, the Raleigh market, which is an, a freestanding a free Ashley Home Store Outlet that's two miles down the road from mm. one of our standard Ashley Home Stores. Three years ago, we never would have done that. Right. Uh, we have two stores two miles apart from each other serving two different types of guests. So we understand customer segmentation and how to kind of stratify the market. And um, and so we're testing that concept and and, uh, and that's working for us. And, uh, and it will continue to iterate. There will be other new concepts because ultimately I'm in a heavily 
fragmented industry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we ex- home furnishings, it's a good thing and a bad thing. It's just a matter of your perspective, right? Um, either there, there's no 50% market dominant leader. Um, it's not like Coke and Pepsi or Verizon and AT&T. There's a lot of choices. It's like the fashion industry. Now, you could look at that and say, wow, I mean, you have very little market share. Or you could look at that and say, well, you have tremendous opportunity to grow market share. <laughs> right. And there's a whole lot of opportunity. And so there's a certain market share number that we want to get in, in each of our markets. Ashley's the number one home furnishings retailer in North America. And so we want to continue to drive throughput in our markets. And then we believe if we do one, two, and three of those strategies really well over a long period of time, develop our people, our systems, our template, our operating system, our way of doing business, that our people will propel us to growth in new markets, where those new markets, we can take our system and extend them to new markets, um, uh, where they might be worth more to us than, than others or others who may want to exit the business. And so that, those are our four growth strategies yeah. as of now. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, Gary, I want I want to bounce something to you for a second, yeah. because we've talked a lot in here on uh, the associates and the role that they're playing in it. And I know that you've talked a lot about culture. So uh, can you hit on a little bit of the, of the importance of breeding the right culture? But then more importantly, because I think people talk and they, they kind of logically can get that. But how can you see companies implementing uh, a culture that can really stick and getting people to buy into that, that vision, that purpose that Charlie was talking about earlier? Well, I think Charlie's actually a really good example of what to do. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I think I was so drawn to you when we first met after connecting on LinkedIn and we actually, you know, had some coffee together. But um, culture starts at the top, period. And it cannot be a program. It's not a, hey, I'll send HR there and they'll go do it and you guys go do the fluffy stuff and let the the real professionals run the company. No. So, um, and I think it starts with, if you want to have a healthy culture, you're going to demonstrate it from the top, and the leadership below has to buy into that, and it just cascades. So even your example of, hey, we're in tough times, we're in gritty fight for our life, here's what we're going to do. It wasn't, hey, we're going to hack a whole bunch of people and we're going to protect a few at the top, and which is what happens a lot of times, you know. And that's where, again, leadership sets the tone. Yeah. <laughs> always, always, always. Go ahead. You got something? Well, um, yeah. And um, you know, we just it, culture to me is it's it's like um, you, you have to take a shower every day. It, you can't like ignore <laughs> it. You have to like brush your teeth every day. It's daily maintenance, and, and, and you have to live mm. it every single day. It's it's just got to be what you do. It's developed over a long period of time of consistent actions, decisions, policies. And, and every day or every decision, you'll have an opportunity or decision to make a choice for culture or against culture. And if your values aren't aligned with, mm-hmm. with, those, with who you want to be, what your identity is, you you might make a decision against culture, against your people, and they'll see through that. So there, there has to be trust, like, I'm gonna trust my people. Um, we're gonna make the right decision, and we're gonna be okay living with the results. And by the way, we've seen, 
we've already seen the worst. And so how bad can it get? Like, we're just going to be okay with living with the results. We're not going to be fearful or have a spirit of scarcity. We're going to entrust our people and, uh, and we're going to work it every single day. And over a long period of time, I like, I can't, I knew like in 2015 or, or some of the t- times we went through, like, I couldn't just say something to somebody. Well, we're going to have a good culture. We're going to turn this thing around. What I knew that we had to pick up the shovel every single day and go to work. Yeah. And I just had faith that we'll prove it. We'll figure mm-hmm. it out. We'll we'll dig out one day at a time, you know, and and, and so you have to work it every single day and, and doing that together that, that builds trust and um and and bonds and and um and but but it is not something we have the saying that you can't microwave culture. It's a, it, it is a crock pot mentality. <laughs> You've got to let it simmer and uh, you, you cannot microwave it. It cannot be done. And so it, it can't be done. You can't expedite it. You can't express ship it. You have to live it. That's the hard part. Yeah. You got to live it every day over consistently over a long period of time. And well, you just have to make the decision. Is that a game worth playing? And, and that's not for everyone. We, yeah. Right? No, it's perfectly right. And both of you hit on it. You had said the idea of living it, and both of you live it every day. It almost comes naturally. You understand the importance of it and the commitment it takes. And in the quote you said about the not being able to microwave culture, that's the issue that you see quite often. And yeah. there's such a disconnect between executives and, and employees because the executives, they talk about it and they think that this is our culture and have no idea of what the actual breathing culture is within their business. And and you're absolutely right, both of you. You have to live it every day in order to really be able to to cook up, the using that analogy still, the culture that helps you thrive the way you have. And by the way, like, I'm not naive to think that we don't have our warts. I mean, we do. Right. And, but, but as, every, as every company but does. But you know, I think I've gotten a lot more open to, like, that feedback is good. Tell me where we're bad. Because right. my heart set mm-hmm. is to try to repair it or to get better or to improve it. And, um, and to treat our people well or where they're proud of it. And like, thank you for sharing the negative feedback. Like we want that. Like we shouldn't run from it or be scared of it or, or bristled by it, but maybe it just, maybe we just need to have a conversation so we can understand each other's point of view and perspective. And it's not like top down, hey, we're shoulder to shoulder. And, and sometimes you just gotta be willing to have a conversation and understand each other's perspective. And, and that alone can, can, can help. That's the blessing, I think, actually, of the uh, fight. When you are in a foxhole, rank goes out the door. And, and it comes down to, and what, what's interesting, so you're either going to be away from the troops or you're going to be in there fighting with the troops. And I think that business should be fun. And you've talked about the great game of business and com- competition is fun, but it's through that uh, the abundance lens versus the scarcity lens, which again, it starts at the top. And if you don't embody it, the rest of the company won't. Well, if you don't have fulfillment in what you do every day, you have a major deficit in your life. That's going to cascade into your family, your friendships. And so it's really important. You spend a lot of time at work. And so it's just a healthier society. It's a healthier environment. If you're, if you're being fulfilled at work, if you know how your work matters. Um, and these are 
maybe not things that we always knew, but we've started to learn and it's really important. And uh, um, people want fulfillment. They want to know how their work matters, how it impacts other people, that they're making a positive contribution. And, um, and, and, and then you do want it to be fun, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, life's too short not to have fun. Winning can be fun. Serving other people can be fun. Recognizing other people can be fun. Seeing people grow and develop can be fun. Um, a lot more fun than, than it's much more fun when we win together. I Much agree. more fun. When you One more thing that I'll I'll put into play on that because I think a lot of people get freaked out or they wonder and look at you weird if you say, "Hey, business should be fun." Well, that doesn't mean putting a bowling alley in the place. That is not what's required. But I think when you have clarity of where we're going, you have transparency of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and humility to be able to share with one another in vulnerable trust, being fortified and you have uh, a clear set of core values that you will hire and fire based on so they're not just words on a page not platitudes but they're true and then you have clarity on a few priorities that you're going to click on on a consistent basis and have some fun even on a theme like what you were talking about you had specific themes every year you get the right people with the right hearts because of core values and you've got clarity of where we're going and we start executing well and you win together, guess what? It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> At least it is for me. I think business should be fun. And you know what? Even if even if we're having a bad month or bad quarter, that doesn't mean that we can't show up with a smile on our face. Right. Yeah. And make it okay to be happy. Like I had to train myself in 2015, like what you know what they're going to see they're going to see a positive person i'm going to be i'm going to try to be the same person whether we're the score is 0 to 100 or 100 to 0 and uh, and you know there we're going there's going to be another recession there's going to be another downturn um but hopefully we've built up some goodwill and trust with our people that um we'll try to mitigate that and make responsible decisions and 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 continue to try to keep growing and thriving in spite of whatever happens macroeconomically, but but still be fulfilled while we're doing it. And so um, that's kind of our perspective on it. Um, you know, yeah, it goes back to the uh, enjoying the journey and not focusing on the destination mm-hmm. because you're not going to have a perfect quarter or a perfect day every single day. And if that's what you're caught up with the numbers, it's going to be a roller coaster and you're not going to enjoy it. Then you, you can't have fun in the job you're doing or the, mm-hmm. the business you're running, but you've got to enjoy the day-to-day, the journey of this entire process. Yeah, and, and being a, a retailer, I don't have subscribers. So every day is zero to zero. Right. Every <laughs> every month is zero zero. The score is zero zero. Every week, every quarter, every year. Guess what? It doesn't matter what we did last year. Um, you know, if we one hit one or whatever, we like it's zero zero again, and we got to go out and, and get more business <laughs> today and uh, tomorrow. And so uh, that's. Um, it's not for everyone, but that that is that is the game, and, and so but there's a sense of da- uh, daily renewal in that too. Like we don't have to carry the baggage from the previous day as well. Like uh, mm-hmm. we get a reset if it was a bad day, a bad week, bad month, bad quarter. We can assess, figure out what it was, and we're going to reset and we're going to go forward. So everything can be win the day, be focused on the day, and what what we can control is today. And and mm-hmm. and so um, that the, the business model allows forces to do that as as well. Yeah, love that. So we're getting towards the end here. So I I want to make sure that we're focusing a little bit on what I was talking about at the start of how much you've you've given back to the community and and 
basically why. So before we talk about the specifics, and I know Gary wants to hit on some of those specifics, but before even that, why from you on a personal level are you so involved and ingrained in your community? What does that mean to you? Um, it just feels like the right thing to do. I mean, it, it feels like uh, to whom much, you know, is one of the quotes that uh, is meaningful to me is, to whom much is given, much is required. And so, uh, you know, I always had a belief that um, I would be successful. I attribute that to my mom and how I was raised. Mm. I was blessed to have just an upbringing where um, just constantly was, was um, you know, had, had belief poured into me. Like I could accomplish anything. And um, that, so I just think that um, it just comes maybe with maturity and that like, um, I, I don't have a desire to, uh, I think that's why I'm in the role that I'm in. Mm. Uh, it's to, to serve and to give back. And um, how am I gonna be a steward with what I've been blessed with or what, I, what I've been given? Um, my personal why, I think Gary attempted to ask me this earlier and maybe I skirted it, was, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, Matthew 25, 23. You know, when I, when I meet my maker and uh, it's, uh, I wanna hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. With, with you, I, I am pleased. And so um, that's really important to me to live a life um, um, worth living, a, a, a well-lived life. And so um, I think I, those, it's not to like, um, I don't, I don't want to be um, 80 years old and look back and say, I can count all the coins I, I made. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to look back and see um, how was I able to, to serve and to give back. And so through this company that we have, that we've been so blessed to, to be successful in and, and, and um, with our people and everything else, it's, um, it's just part of like, I think it's my responsibility. That's how mm-hmm. I see it. Um, and so, uh, and quite honestly, there's probably a whole lot more we can and should do. We're trying to continue to be successful can we, so, so we can do more. You know, in, in one of uh, my vit store visits, um, you know, we, we go around and we have these town hall meetings and whatnot. And uh, this was on one of our Orange Crush tours. And uh, so I asked one of our associates, um, um, why, why, do you, uh, why, do you, why do you want to be a million-dollar writer? What, why is it important to you? And his response to me has stuck with me to this day. He said, uh, because I want to be able to tithe more to my church. That Mm. was his why. And it was just so powerful. And I was like, that is like, I want to be like that. Mm. You know, I want to be able to earn more so I can give more. And, um, and I just loved his heart on that. So I I, I don't know that I have any much more on it than that. No, no, no. um, That's, that's perfect. You know, I think, um, I've got two sons and at one point they're going to look to me and how I live my life. And, um, Hopefully they can uh, be proud of how their dad lived their life, yeah. his life. Yeah, perfect. Did you have anything else here you wanted to hit on with, with uh, either the community involvement or anything there? Not really, other than the fact that, you know, um, this is a vibrant community largely because of ripple makers, <laughs> and you're one. Yeah. And, and we have the choice of being positive ripple makers or negative ones, and you're a positive one. I know you're very involved with Beds for Kids, we're involved with that too. Love it. I mean, and there are lots of really great places to, to impact. The, the issue kind of comes back to you and that crockpot versus microwave. It's just consistency over time, doing what you can a little bit today. Where, and if it's just putting a smile on your face when everybody else is looking to you and the world seems like it's falling apart, start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So... Man, you but, have but, been but, a fantastic guest on this, though, well, Charlie. It's been wonderful having you. Go well, ahead. Thank you so much. And, and I just, like, um, 
we have people it's not it really it's not just me like we have so many people in our company whose hearts are full and abundant and i get to see that every single day and and they give in powerful ways they give of their time their money their resources um and so when they prosper they give and like there's really good people out there and i get to work with them every single day so it's it's not like i'm a little bit embarrassed by the question even like i don't like talking about it from my perspective um but that's because it's a selfless act and it's not but it's not not just me because it is there's others like there's that i'm surrounded with that 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 give in powerful ways and and you know love what we're able to do and um and take great pride in it and so it it is definitely a team win and a collective win and um you know this topic of growing with purpose um we've really learned a lot about it over the last 12 months we've tried to live it all year long we started a purpose activation committee that was really important to us and and we've really tried to let it be manifested throughout the year we held a purpose summit called purpose 828 we brought in purpose speakers from across the country Um, but you know when we had our purpose statement we let it marinate for 11 months before we told anyone about it and Mm. then and to make sure that it would stick and and wouldn't be um, ephemeral or short-lived and so when we finally unveiled it and and everyone got rallied behind it like we knew we were on to something and it's all about um um those those flagship defining moments um i heard a quote um on um a max john maxwell podcast and i want to try to restate it it's not the number of breaths we take that matter that that measure our life it's the uh um, moments that take our breath away and so Mm. um you know, when I think about furnishing life's best memories, it's really about those special moments that get etched in stone is those memories that we look back and that motivate us. And they, the memories in the past inspire us to go forward and the future memories that we want to have propel us forward. Purpose is such a powerful force. Gravity is a powerful force. It, gravity pulls you down. I believe purpose propels you forward. And um, so when we're living and working with purpose and we understand our purpose organizationally or personally, uh, I think it's such a powerful, motivating, humanizing way to live. And um, and so uh, we could probably talk a lot more on that, but yeah. it hasn't been a pit- typical journey to, to come up with a, as a retail company, as a purpose-based company, but it's been a lot of fun. I would not change one second of, it, of the journey. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing. So before we uh, cut this off, where can people find you, whether it's to contact you or to follow you, and then uh, where can they find more about Broad River? Broadriverretail.com is our website. I work at our corporate office in Fort Mill, South Carolina, um, Lake Mountain Boulevard. And um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And uh, you, they can look up my name, I suppose. Yeah, um, I'll put a link for for yeah. your, uh, your profile so they can, if they have questions or want to learn more, because I think you're a great role model. And, well, thank and you so much. So I hope some of the listeners are uh, comfortable enough reaching out to somebody like you because they can learn a lot. Well, if anyone has questions or, or, or about uh, business or, or, or purpose or anything like that, I'd love to engage in a, in a conversation. And so I'm on LinkedIn or they can um, uh, uh, reach out any, that way as well. And um, uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Awesome.